Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this time where we engage the Word, where we hear from Scripture and then we think about how that applies to us and and how we can take what was written so long ago and bring all of that goodness out and become a part of our lives and become a part of our world as we embody and bring forth God's goodness through the Holy Spirit to the world around us, because that's what it's all about. It's all about us being a part of this kingdom, this this movement of the new reign of God through Jesus Christ that we are given in the Holy Spirit so that we can then go and be a part of its growth in the world. We sow it like a seed. We, we discover that even the insignificant moments become powerful and long-lasting. And then we do everything we can to become more and more a part of it as we discover the kingdom itself. The parables have been opening us up to this new understanding of the kingdom. And, and straight from the parables in the gospel we call Matthew, we come right to a scene that begins in chapter 14. And so we're going we're gonna to spend some time reading through this famous scene. It's a miracle story. It's the only one that's recorded in all four gospel narratives. And so it's is significant enough for each author that it should be included in their telling of the gospel story. And so let us just breathe. And let us come to a place in the midst of everything that's happening around us, midst everything that's happening across this planet between COVID and between masking and taking precautions and kids going back to school and politicians doing all sorts of things with that reality, and not just in this country by any means, but all across the world. And then let us consider the, the things we've seen in the news this week, the explosion in Beirut. We consider all that's happening in the streets of communities around us, in the streets of cities across our nation, across our world in response to racism in response to speaking out and being a part of the kind of peace and justice that God asks us to be a part of, actually becoming a reality in our communities for all people, that all people experience the kinds of justice and peace that right now only a small group of people experience. And so all of these things we carry with us, whether we turn on the news or read through social media or we open the newspaper or we have conversation or we listen to music, we listen to speeches, we engage the world around us. Friends, that's a lot that we are carrying right now. It's a lot that we are carrying. And it's good for us to just come and be in this place and to engage the word as we think about the, the fact that God has been with us from the very beginning and that this world has never 
never been without its chaos. It's never been without its tragedies and traumas, its pandemics and wars and, and groups of people pitted against other groups of people and groups of people that have experienced injustice speaking out and crying out and to a God who listens, to a God who redeems and restores and saves and frees. And we're all on this journey together toward this total freedom that God's reign will bring and can bring you this day. And this is a much different freedom than we often talk about when we talk about politics. This is a completely different freedom. But I hope that you've come today and in this time of praise, engaged that part of you that longs for this true sense of freedom in a world that it just brings a lot for us to carry and can weigh us down. So let's just invite the Spirit to be a part of our time together and trust that God is still, still in the business of leading the people, our people, us, into this place of peace and freedom and justice. So let us pray together. Lord, I thank you that you see us, that you were ever with us, that you were always for all of us. That you have made this beautiful creation. You have made this incredible humanity and then invited us to be a part of your ongoing work, to experience the beauty of you in each other, to experience the beauty of you in nature around us, to learn and grow and experience this incredible gift we call life. I thank you that you have brought us here that we have woken up this day, that we are drawing in this breath and present with one another in a virtual way, in a way that's not how we're used to, or maybe we've become used to it. Lord, I thank you that you are here with us. No matter what we are carrying or struggling through or wrestling with, no matter the pains that we are feeling, experiencing, inflicting, dreading, healing from. I thank you that you never leave us, Lord. And I ask that you speak to us now, that you speak through me in spite of me, that we hear you in spite of ourselves, that as we engage the scripture, that we listen for your Holy Spirit to speak. Lord, may all that we hear embody, carry, incorporate into our lives. May it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, you alone are our rock and redeemer. Amen. Amen. So we are in the lectionary year A. If you aren't familiar with that, there are three years, A, B, and C. And so we go through ABC and then we go back year four to start the cycle again and, and on it has gone for hundreds and, and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we come to this point in year A where we're, or the gospel of Matthew is kind of our, our focused gospel. And as we've been walking through the last several weeks, 
We went through the parables over the last month, and now we're going to enter into the next part of the gospel narrative to the feeding of the 5,000 as it is labeled in the Bible, which of course there was, were no labels in the original writings, but it's a way for us to kind of keep track. But what we, what we do is we come from the end of 13 with these parables, and then chapter 14 begins with the death of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist, Jesus' second cousin, he has been the, the prophet at the beginning of the narrative who announced the coming of Jesus, who then baptized Jesus and then withdrew or was taken by King Herod. And then Jesus' ministry began. And so the story has been with Jesus. And so we hear now that John was put into prison and was in a dungeon and King Herod through a strange story involving uh, his stepdaughter, ends up beheading John the Baptist at this great banquet that he had. All his guests were gathered for a great feast in this palace. And then the product of this feast comes the death of Jesus' second cousin, this great prophet. And so it's a tragic story. And he had wanted John to, to be killed, but he couldn't. King Herod couldn't. Because King Herod's not in charge. He's in charge of a Roman territory that we call uh, Judea or Israel or Galilee. So this was Galilee. And he's in charge of that area, but he's only in charge because the Romans have given him charge. And basically, he can't do anything he wants. He has to keep the peace. And so he had wanted to kill John, but he knew it would cause unrest. And so he answers ultimately to Rome. And Rome says, no unrest. And so... He said John in his prison. But then through this kind of trickery with his stepdaughter, he ends up having to face the choice of either honoring Rome and their request for no unrest or fulfilling the promise that he made to his stepdaughter that he would give her anything she wanted. And she requested the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, there's a whole reason behind why anyone wanted John dead. We're not going to get into that today. But what it comes to is finally John is killed because Herod has kind of a legitimate excuse. But we find a powerless person that can throw great banquets, but even as limited in power and, and the product of Herod's kingship is this tragedy and, and not free reign. And so then we immediately come to another scene about another king with another banquet. And so we're going to read from chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, and it reads, When Jesus heard about John, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. When the crowds learned this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. That evening, his disciples came and said to him, This is an isolated place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, There's no need to send them away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here except five loaves of bread and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves of bread and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, and broke the loaves apart and gave them to his disciples. Then the disciples gave them to the crowds, 
Everyone ate until they were full, and they filled 12 baskets with the leftovers. About 5,000 men plus women and children had eaten. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. These stories are side by side for a purpose. Because this is a very political story, the Gospels. And I know sometimes we like to think that the Bible and politics don't mix, but they do. Because politics is simply how a group of people live together and form a society. I mean, that's what politics are. So we use the word in kind of a derogatory way to refer to the arguing and divisiveness of, of people that aren't necessarily trying to work out the best things for all people, but, but are playing games, and, and we don't need to get into that. What we find here is a very political story. We have the king throwing a banquet, inviting all the people, and they're feasting in the product of a king's banquet, which, if you don't know in the context, I mean, that, that's a big deal. It's the king's responsibility to make sure people are fed and taken care of. So here's the king, Herod, throwing a banquet, and the product instead is, we know, unrest, and we know it's death. And then we find another king, which is Jesus, which we've heard that this is, this is where the story's headed from the very beginning. The gospel birth story in Matthew is, is very clear that Jesus is some sort of king. And here he is, and he walks out of the city. He goes away from the civilized area, the Roman-controlled civilization, and walks to the wilderness. The wilderness is where you go where the rule of authority doesn't really extend. The, the wilderness is, is wild. It's chaotic, it's unsettled, and it's isolated. And so Jesus goes there to mourn his cousin, I'm sure. And then the crowds go and follow him into the wilderness. So suddenly Jesus, the king, is surrounded by lots of people who have come out there to hear him, to be a part of what he's doing, to learn more about this kingdom that he's announcing. And so he's gotta be exhausted and he's gotta be grieving and he sees the people and the response of this king is compassion for the people. And so he begins to teach them. And the way that it's worded is he teaches them many things. Um, and he healed those who were sick. Now this particular reference is Jesus stepped out of the, the boundaries of society. Jesus had already challenged those boundaries. This carpenter's son has claimed himself to be a prophet. So he's climbing the ladder of status, and they don't like this. People don't really like it when you step out of bounds with what you're expected to be. But Jesus doesn't really care about that. Jesus is crossing boundaries. He's, he's eating with centurions. He's eating with women. He's eating with tax collectors. I mean, Jesus is going to all the wrong people, right? And he comes and he sees the crowds, these people who are lost, who are searching. He has compassion, and he heals those who are sick. He engages with them in the sickness whatever it may be, and he steps across the boundaries once again to bring people to himself, to bring people to his level because he's with everybody. And then the disciples, looking around, start to realize these people are gonna to need to eat, right? And there's a lot of need in the crowd. Now maybe the disciples just didn't really wanna address the need, right? And so if we don't wanna address the need, we try to make the need disappear. We do this, or, or maybe we pull up to the intersection where someone's holding a sign saying they're homeless, and I'm not saying we should or shouldn't give money, or 
I'm not judging that, but what do we typically do when we see someone standing at the intersection? We look elsewhere, right? Because if we don't see them, they're not there. So the disciples are like, let's send them away, right? They're going to need food, so send them away. And Jesus has none of that and says, you don't need to send them away. And then he, then he really turns it. You, you give them something to eat. Now, if it's like us, it's like me, I'd be looking at this crowd of 5,000 adult men and then not counting the women and children and I'd probably be thinking of all the reasons that I can't give them something to eat, that I, that I have no way to do that. But we also know that just a few chapters prior, Jesus had empowered the disciples to go all around the area preaching the good news and they were casting out demons, healing the sick. They were doing miracles. They were empowered by the, the very presence of the kingdom in and around them. Jesus had commissioned them and here Jesus is doing it once again. So if they've been able to do things before, why do they hesitate now? And that is a question we need to sit with because oftentimes we hesitate. And the reason being is very similar to this story. They look at what they have, which is seemingly nothing to them. It's only five loaves of bread and two fish. That's nothing. That's measuring by our standards. To Jesus' standards, that's more than enough, right? Jesus says, well, bring it here. So then he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to the disciples, and then they go and feed. So he empowers and enables them to then go and do what he had commissioned them to do. It doesn't even say that anyone else around him knew what happened. All they know is the disciples show up, so Jesus has them sit down, or he has them recline. The word is banquet. It's very clear in the Greek. Jesus is inviting them to a banquet out in the wilderness. And so the, the words used for sit down and the grass is loaded with all this imagery that, that talks about who Jesus is, that he's a true king, he's a good king, and he's going to serve the people. So where we just saw one banquet with Herod, now we're seeing another banquet. So all they know is they sit down and then the disciples show up and start giving them food. There's no indication that the people have any clue what just happened, but the disciples do. There's a wonderful, wonderful understanding of this story that goes all the way back to the early centuries, the early part of the church's movement. And there's a church that sits just off to the side of the Sea of Galilee to the west. And I've been to this church and I was very moved by what I saw there because you can go there and recently, not, not too long ago, they unearthed the original mosaic floor that was laid way back at the beginning. And the mosaic floor has this interesting picture on it. It is a picture of two fish and four loaves in a basket. And you might be saying, wait, I thought there were five loaves. Well, you're correct. But the mosaic has four. Now, something to know about this mosaic is it lies right in front of an altar in the church. And right underneath the altar, there is a rock protruding from the ground. Something I learned that I didn't know until I went to Israel was anytime there's a holy site, they built a church on top of it. I mean, literally every site, there is a church over top of it. And this one is no exception. So what's special about this rock? Well, according to tradition, 
not history, but tradition. This is the rock upon which Jesus broke this bread and shared this original meal. And so they built a church on this rock that they've decided this is where it is. The rock just protrudes through the floor and right in front of it is a mosaic showing four loaves. So where is the fifth loaf? Well, when you go to church there, the fifth loaf is sitting on the table because then they would have taken communion every single week. So there's the message that they're trying to convey that Jesus is not done multiplying for our benefit, not done providing us what we need to continue to share with each other all that we are needing to be full. It's quite a powerful message to go there and be reminded that that the loaf that we put on our altar is Jesus at work continuing to multiply. But we must remember that what Jesus did was provide the disciples with what they needed to do what they were commissioned to do. You give them something to eat. And in our doubt, in our fear, our hesitancy, we waver. Jesus provides. That's the idea. Jesus is this king that provides for the people that all may come and sit together. But it's not just to come and sit and be passive and then go home. It is a come and sit and then you're going to go and you're going to go out and continue the work, continue the meal, continue the banquet. Now, it's not just all about food. This is all political imagery. There's a, there's a purpose that the king is supposed to have. And then there's the puppet king, Herod, who can't do anything without permission or without being put into a corner. And then there's Jesus who breaks all the boundaries and does everything that he seeks to do. But he always does it not out of a sense of of fear or, or trying to achieve status. Jesus responds to compassion and need. He feels compassion. God feels compassion and responds out of need. But not just responds, calls us to be the means through which God responds. Now the end of the story says there were 12 baskets left over. Well, 12 is significant. That's why there are 12 disciples, even though we know there were a lot more. They mentioned 12 because of Israel, because of the tribes of Israel. Jesus is as a king establishing the new Israel. So there are 12. There are enough baskets that each tribe, or the better way to say it, that all the tribes of Jesus' new kingdom have what they need to continue the work. So do we believe that this is our commission as well? Do we have faith that we have been given everything we need to complete that mission? Now, we might have all sorts of different ideas of what that means, Am I supposed to go to a different country and and completely give my life in some sort of mission? Is that my calling? Well, some people that's their calling, but that's not everyone's calling. Some people's calling is to be what they need to be in their home with their family. Maybe not under their one roof, but among their family or friends to be a different kind of presence, to be a different kind of worker in the world of God's politics, which is not about trying to be powerful and get everyone to do what you want them to do, but rather to recognize the needs of others and out of compassion, bring what you have, even if it's seeming, seemingly very insignificant, and just trusting that that will be enough. 
It might be your work. It might be your community. You might be called to go into politics, and I know some people in our congregation are, and you may be called to be a part of wherever you are called to be a part, whether it's a, a career or vocation, whether it's a, a hobby, an activity, wherever you are is where you are supposed to live out your mission. And not just living out the mission to simply fill the stomachs. That's not what that miracle was about. They were going to be hungry again. Rather, to teach people, to show people that they have what they need through God to go and be disciples themselves, to address the needs that are around us and to respond with compassion, not in any attempt to get what we need, not in any attempt to think that we need to achieve some level of greatness or that there is such a thing as a level of greatness, but rather simply look around and see what the need is. And there are many today, many needs. Now we're limited. We shouldn't be going around and, and being around people face to face because that's spreading a virus. That's, that's killing people. That's infecting people. It's real. It's happening all around us. But we all have neighbors. And we don't know which of our neighbors have not sat and banqueted at the table of God yet. That may feel isolated and alone and hopeless. That may not have what they need. Well, we've been placed most of us in a place where we have neighbors around us. Have we reached out to see what's your need and out of compassion then acting? Not just simply to, to fill the need and go on, but to actually engage with them. To see where they're in need of healing and then maybe even share our own story of healing. And it, Faith sharing can be as simple as that. Just share what God has been in your life. You don't need to create some sort of a list of what people need to do to be acceptable by the church or, or God or anything else. Just share what you've experienced. And you may say, well, that's not a very exciting story. Or you may say something like, that's just five loaves and a, a two fish. That, what, that's nothing. Trust, my friends, that what you have, what you've been given, is enough. And that it's most important that we respond to the world around us that is hungry and not just for bread and fish. Hungry for purpose and life and hope. Friends, you give them something to eat. Trust that Jesus Christ continues to provide for us. Christ calls you and then equips and empowers you through the Holy Spirit in your heart to go and to continue to give out of the endless abundance of God's goodness to give to everyone around us as we respond with mercy and compassion and love and acceptance and we'll break the boundaries because to us it doesn't matter what society has determined are the different levels of who we should be spending time with and what we should be doing and who's in and who's out. To God, it doesn't matter. To God, we respond with compassion and we go and give them something to eat. It's good work. And it doesn't have to look like someone in a robe in a church. In fact, the most meaningful work doesn't happen in the building of the church. The most meaningful work happens from heart to heart 
with the people you already have a relationship with. They already know you. You've already got an in into diving deeper into what life has been about for you and where God has been at work in your life because you are the one that's gonna actually be able to speak to them with any sort of authority. And so if you don't know your neighbors, get to know them. Don't get to know them just so that you can do what you feel like you need to do. Get to know them because they're your neighbors and you have compassion for them and you wanna love them and engage with them and be a part of life with them. And then trust that your work and that holy, holy work will be the way through which God will come to get to know them, that God will show up in, in seemingly insig insignificant ways like a mustard seed or yeast, and that as things start to grow in relationships that you have one-on-one -on -one with people, that it'll become evident who's at work in your life, and that when that evidence reveals itself, it will be so beautiful that people will want to know more, and they'll want it for themselves. And if they don't, okay. That's okay. You're going to still love them because they're still going to have needs and we can still act out of God's abundance and compassion. So go this week and figure out, discern, pray, ask for, consider who it is in your life that you've been called to give them something to eat. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.